You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York. A community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. From 1 Kings, and then Lydia is going to read out of the gospel. This is Elijah having the encounter with God. There Elijah came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. Everybody say, passed by. The Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper, or in the Hebrew, the sound of pure silence. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. The word of the Lord. A reading from the Gospel according to Luke. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me, for he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion. For many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let him enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from who the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, and they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, 
return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to you, Lord Christ. So for the summertime, we're going to be entering a series called Summer Apocalypse, Removing the New Normal to Uncover the Ordinary. How many of you have heard the phrase, the new normal? Come on, let's see. How many of you are a little bit tired of hearing it? Yes. We live in a unique time, and whenever unique times like this surface, so do way too many conspiracy theories and church prophecies. And one thing, you know, over the last two weeks as I have been home, um, going through a bit of a storm in, in many areas, I've had rise up in me a desire, and this is going to sound simple, but I've had in me a desire to see our church speak to the issues of the day the way that Christians are supposed to speak to the issues of the day. I, I, and I know, I know that that sounds simple, but honestly, if we are not careful it, and, and we just go on autopilot, we will be dragged around by every wind and wave of doctrine that arises against the knowledge of the glory of God. And maybe there was a day when false doctrines were happening in the church, which they still are, but right now there's a false doctrinal narrative that is sweeping the world, and it is anything that distracts, that makes us suspicious, that makes us uncomfortable, that makes us not be able to trust, that makes us divided, and it's prevalent, and it's not coming out in a neat and organized way. It's coming out in wily little sound bites that just get into our subconscious enough to dislodge our faith and our trust. And so I want to see Salem Tabernacle not join the ranks of polarization, but be able to speak what Christians have been called to speak for the last 2,000 years, and that is a hope that hopes against hope. When we talk, people should feel more hopeful. When we share our view, they should not see the affirmation of a particular side of a coin, but they should see the hope that God is always and forever present in the disaster we're going through, and he's making all things new. And one day, every eye will see, and every tongue confess that he has made everything right. That's our message. That's what we need to be speaking. And I have an unyielding desire in my bones to speak to this so that we can say a better word than what is being said out there especially, especially by the church. So when we think of apocalypse, I asked many people over the last couple of weeks, what do you think of when you think of the word apocalypse? And the top three answers I got were tanks, the mushroom cloud of like an atomic bomb that has gone off, and angels, which I thought was funny, but... Angels, tanks, destruction, atomic bomb, end of the world. We live 
in a time of inflation. Anybody ever noticed the inflation? Has anybody gotten gas or tried to buy milk? On top of it, we have a hard time getting the necessities. There was a brief moment where it seemed like we were going to have to bring Jacqueline to the emergency room because her oxygen level was dropping pretty quick. And I had this momentary fear of realizing our baby is seven months old. He breastfeeds. I have to go find formula if I'm going to bring Jacqueline to the emergency room. And guess what I couldn't find? People talk about how advanced we are. Didn't feel super advanced when I couldn't find food for Theo. Luckily, Jacqueline was okay. And luckily, our pediatrician's amazing and dropped off a whole bunch of formula here at the church for us. I mean, good people make you real happy in a storm. Amen? You have no idea. Or you do know. You know. I don't know why we say you don't know. You know. You've been through storms, too. There's some storm clouds in the room right now. We live in inflation, war, not just racism, but a deeply seated kind that refuses to admit or see itself, a very unself-aware racism that's being politicized and even Christianized away, which is a demonic force, division, conspiracy theories. This is the Great Reset. Has anybody heard that? The cabal is running things. Somebody watched The Blacklist way too much and thinks it's real. Christians running around, the end is near, this is it, Jesus is coming back. Wars and rumors of wars, he said it. The wars aren't rumors anymore. they happening. What are we supposed to do? Why do we have this tendency to look at things going wrong and let our imagination become a petri dish of false doctrine? We have a tendency to push personal responsibility into the stratosphere of imagination and conspiratorial thinking and also into a future that we know ourselves we won't be around for by the time it comes. It's always, you know what, this is leading to the end. This is going to happen one day. This is down the road. Or it's some major, unseen, unable to be accountable to conspiracy theory that really, it's just the revolving door of imagination and you're not accountable to anything other than spreading fear and all kinds of mistrust. How is it that we're so good at doing that? And Jesus, who lived during a time of the most corrupt government... And the most corrupt religious system never spoke bad about Rome, never spoke bad about Jerusalem, and lived a quiet, humble life of hope in the midst of all of that. Are we being like him? Are we thinking like him? Are we posting like him? Are we writing like him? Are we communicating like him? Jesus is like, spoiler alert. There is a conspiracy, and there are people running stuff, and it is getting bad, and it's called demonic powers and principalities. That's what it is. And the problem is, when we think it's all the way up at the top, we negate the fact that it's also right here in the center of my chest. As corrupt, as conspiratorial, the end doesn't just need to come to the earth. The end needs to come to my own personal carnality. Amen? If God's going to bring the end to something, 
I think he's going to bring the end of what ails me more than anything else. But we want it to be the world, not our heart. St. Thomas Kempis said, God, if you're going to conquer anything today, please first start with my heart and then move on to other things. I googled the word apocalypse, which really stressed me out. Google's not intelligent or smart. They have things like destruction. They even try to quote the Bible in there. They tell you the book of Revelation, the end of the world. The problem is the word apocalypse needs an apocalypse. The word apocalypse has been taken hostage by media, by fantasy, by books that have been written that destroyed a lot of Christian doctrine. The word apocalypse has went from something that we're going to talk about very, very special and unique to a word that has to do with the end and destruction and dismantling of everything we know. But when you look in the biblical Greek, the very first word in the book of Revelation is the word apocalypse. And it means things like uncovering, making real, used of events by which things hitherto withdrawn from view are made visible. The word apocalypse has become a word to describe the destruction of everything, the end result of all of humanity's terrible decisions. But the word apocalypse, when used by the Holy Spirit in the very first word, in our English, when you open to the book of Revelation, it says the revelation. But in the Greek, it's one word, and it says apocalypse of Jesus Christ. The unveiling, the making visible, the, the part of Jesus that's always been there that is now being sent into view. The word apocalypse has always ever meant the uncovering of what is there. Not some catastrophic atomic bomb that ends it all, or the sun going out, or the stars falling from heaven. No. The word apocalypse means unveiling. To uncover. To make real. Let me tell you, God wants you to go through an apocalypse every day of your life. He wants you to be unveiled to you. He wants you to see you. He wants you to see him. He wants you to see what's going on behind the situations that you're interacting with every day. He wants you to see the truth that's behind them that we can't see without an unveiling so we know what it is we're really actually dealing with. We've had funny times where we've had plans with people, and then they cancel the plans. And you're just like, they never do anything. They're such opportunists. They probably realize that somebody's cooler to hang out with. They do this to me all the time. I'm never hanging out with them again. And then you find out after you gossip that they had a death in the family. That's an apocalypse. It's the truth that was always there that you didn't see until a moment, and now you see it. So all of these issues we're facing, the, all, the fact that it's easier to buy an assault rifle than it is to buy formula, right? All of these things, all of these things 
are revealing something to us. They're not, we're not supposed to look at the events themselves. We're supposed to say, Lord, what are you showing us? Behind, what are these events revealing to us about what it is that you want to heal? If the word apocalypse means uncovering, then the very first apocalypse in the Bible is when God looks at Adam and Eve and says, you've covered yourselves with fig leaves. And it says that he then covered them with animal skins. Do we remember this from Genesis chapter 3? They had on fig leaves and he covered them with, which means he had to do what with the fig leaves? He had to take them off. There was an unveiling an uncovering, for what purpose? To recover and to restore and to heal. So why does God uncover things? He only uncovers that which he wants to heal. So do you see why the little wily demonic powers that exist in the air all around us, do you see why they've hijacked and stolen the word apocalypse and brought it to this realm of like modern warfare and helicopters and bombs and war and destruction and Armageddon? When all along, the reason why they've done that is because they know that apocalypse really means God is going to come and remove our false coverings to heal what's been under it all along. That's the word that we have to speak. That's the word that the church has to offer. You know, things are getting really bad. Things are not getting worse than they've been at other times. Things are getting ready to be seen. Not worse. It's been bad. Can anyone think of something worse than murdering God? Okay, so this isn't the worst. Good Friday was pretty bad, I would assume. But they all reveal what God wants to heal, not what he wants to dis destroy. Every storm you're going through in your life, it's not just meant for you to get through it. It's meant for you to live through it in a way where the success isn't just getting to the other side of it, not just healing, not just getting better, not just repairing the marriage, not just bringing salvation to someone's life, not just getting over COVID, not just nursing you know, your family and your church through really tough times. That's not the end result. The end result is what did God show us was happening all along? What has he uncovered and what is he healing? It's not just about getting through the storm. It's about becoming through the storm. We have this mentality of just get me through the situation. We don't want breakthroughs. We want become-throughs. Write that down, what I just said. We don't want breakthroughs. We want become-throughs. I don't want to get to the other side of my situation and still be the same me I was when I got into it. I want an apocalypse to happen during my storms. I want to see what it is I couldn't see unless I went through what it is I'm going through. Storms have a way of giving you 20-20 vision. Storms and sickness and things that we go through, God doesn't give them to us, but he shows up in them in such a way that helps us to see more clearly what we were missing when we were healthy. 
when you're going through something with your children or your spouse or your finances, the goal that God has isn't just to rectify the situation. It's to unveil reasons why we got here. Reasons below reasons below reasons below reasons why we got here. To dig down. To learn to live in storms and not just try to get through them. One thing I learned in the last few weeks, one of the things that was revealed to me, one of the things I'll share that was revealed to me in the last few weeks, is that when one part of my life over here starts to shake a little bit because of my personality, because of the way that I you know, live with my emotions on my sleeve kind of thing, when this part of my life is shaking, I start to go and shake everything else in my life because that one part is shaking a little bit. Everyone's got to have an earthquake if I'm having an earthquake. But the Holy Spirit revealed to me, revealed, apocalypsed to me, that when this part of my life is shaking, that part's not. So when you're here, hold on to stuff. But when you're here, you could breathe. And some of you have a personality that innately does that. To me, that's unbelievable. Are you serious? Sit here and be cool because this is cool even though that's shaking over there. I'm like, God, you have got to be kidding me. You're out of your mind. And another thing I learned that was revealed, that was apocalypse, was when something, have you ever had a moment where something starts to go wrong and then you realize, okay, it's going to keep going wrong for a while? Like, this is just going to keep happening? I have a tendency to sort of want to repaint a wall during an earthquake. It's shaking, And I'm like, okay, a picture just fell. Let's pick it back up. Nah, man, it's shaking. The whole house is shaking. Don't pick up pictures. Get out. I had this revelation that another thing that I need to do better of in my life is when things start to go wrong, wait. Let them finish so you know exactly what it is that you need to fix when the storm's over. Don't go mow the lawn during a tornado. The wind is blowing out there. Stay in the basement. Wait until you don't hear the freight train above the house anymore and then go look at the damage because the damage that exists after the storm is the true damage. The damage that exists during it, it's not done yet. That's an apocalypse. My tendency to start to fix things while they're still breaking. Revealed fears, revealed insecurities. My, my, my desire to speed up during a storm instead of slow down during one. To think that everything is shaking and not just this part. To realize that Sophia, my daughter, she doesn't need to know that something's going wrong over here. Because nothing's going wrong in her sphere of life. Like, I don't... That's amazing to me. I'm writing this down like this cannot be true. <laughs> you mean don't spread my emotions everywhere? Yeah, Right. We in the cosmic make all the things going on, these, these like nefarious, macabre, deeply rooted conspiracies, but we also do it in our own homes. Something goes wrong, and instead of saying, what did I have to do, what did I contribute to what is going wrong, we develop this whole big thing about how it's other stuff going on, other things happening, somebody else's fault. If this didn't happen 10 years ago, then... Bu- and we, we do the same thing. We push responsibility out into the imagination someplace. 
And Jesus is just going to keep coming to the boat in the storm saying, you got to see. There's things I'm trying to apocalypse for you. Everyone who's ever predicted the end of the world has been wrong. So get traded off that team. They're batting zero. God help us when the one person's right. They're going to be annoying in heaven out of everybody else. The one person who gets it right, I was like, oh my God, please don't put my house next to theirs in heaven. I don't want to hear it. They've all been wrong. They've all been wrong. It's time we start looking at apocalypse differently. We don't need to find a new normal. A new normal implies that it was normal before COVID. Was it, though? I bet you I can interview a lot of you and say it was still pretty bad before COVID. Some people are just starting to be like, wow, man, your country's not good. Other people are like, yeah, we've been trying to, we've been going through stuff for a very long time, generations. How long have we been a country for? Yeah, 200 years. That's how long we've been going through stuff for. It's not new. We need a revelation. We don't need to join the ranks of sound bites that I'm telling you right now are not from the Holy Spirit. They're not. Jesus doesn't speak in them. It's not wise to preach in them. And it's certainly not wise to eat them like they're communion wafers every day until you're formed by them. So let's look at the gospel text. Here's a conspiracy theory. If I end up preaching to 12, it's Desiree's fault. So... (laughs) They go to the land where Jesus is going to be dealing with Samaritans who, aren't, who are Jews, but not from this particular place. People act like Samaritans weren't Jews. The, the woman at the well in the land of Samaria in John chapter 4 says to Jesus, our father Jacob gave us this well. Samaritans were Jews that lived on the other side of the tracks, so to speak. And they probably thought the other Jews were Jews that lived on the other side of the tracks. On the way there to encounter this demon, the disciples went through a storm in the previous story. And all I've ever heard was that the devil is going to send a storm your way to prevent you from getting to your purpose. Of course I believe that. But here's what I also believe. I also believe that that storm that the disciples encountered was also a revelation of their inner resistance to another people group being as important as they are. Happy Juneteenth, everybody. They each had this thought that their class of Judaism was higher and better and more important than the others, and this issue still persists today. Amen? And so on the way for Jesus to go and reach out to this other people group, as the men in the boat would have called them, Jesus is going to touch them, embrace them, heal them, love them, and make them the focal point of the entire New Testament. There's a storm that arises, not just because Satan didn't want them to get there, but more because Jesus was apocalypsing, revealing their own resistance to what he was about to do. Sometimes storms rise up in your life because the devil's trying to disorient you, and sometimes they rise up in your life because your inner resistance to what God is doing is causing it. 
sometimes your inner resistance is causing a storm. Let's call it turmoil. Let's call it insecurity. Let's call it anxiety. Let's call it skepticism. Let's call it, I can't get myself happy. I can't get myself comfortable. I can't get myself content. I don't feel like I belong. I don't like what I'm doing. That kind of storm isn't always from the devil. It's also an apocalypse happening in your life to show you your inner resistance to being where God wants you to be. It's Father's Day. This should be less, more, more lighthearted. No, we got donuts. Steve, we got donuts. All right, we got donuts. Okay, K boys, we got donuts. All right, we're gonna be okay. We're gonna be okay, K. All right, sorry. It's Father's Day. Let me get a couple bad dad jokes in. All right, this is the one Sunday that Mike Mandy's jokes are funny. Just so everybody knows. <laughs> He texted me yesterday after my brother did an amazing job, and he said, after hearing Frankie preach on those verses, it became apparent to me what I need to learn. And I wrote, amen, Mike, that's great. He wrote, get it, a parent. (laughs) And it was my fault for taking him seriously. (laughs) Joke's on me. What does Jesus do? let's Let's go to the end of the story. Jesus encounters one person, we think one person. You ready to get deep? No? We're going to anyway. Jesus, we think, encounters one person with a demon, but what he encountered was an economy that was demonic. And here's how we know. There's a conspiracy that's happening in this area of the Gerasenes. There's a way that people are holding on to power and forcing other people to the tombs. There's an economy that's working for very few people and not for everybody. Does this sound familiar to anyone? Okay, and we know that now because of what Jesus does with the demons. Jesus does something so weird and spooky. The demons say, before you cast us out of this guy, can you send us into the pigs? We don't want to go to the abyss. This could be the weirdest moment in the Gospels. And Jesus, like, has a conversation with them. All right, where do you want to go? I'm going to send you into the abyss. You don't want to go to the abyss. Where do you want to go? Sounds like me talking to Sophia. Where do you want to go? Let's go to the 84 Diner. You don't want to go to the 84 Diner? Where do you want to go? Hudson Ribs and Fish, you spoiled brat. I'm not taking you there. (laughs) They say, we want to go into the pigs. Because who doesn't like bacon? Amen? Just kidding. (laughs) They want to go to the pigs. And Jesus says, go into the pigs. Why? Because Jesus is a divine conspiracy revealing the carnal conspiracy that's happening. It's conspiracy on another conspiracy which is called an apocalypse. Jesus has a better scheme than the scheme the the demons have. So he causes them to show their hand. What happens? They go into the pigs. What do the pigs do? Drown. The minute the pigs drown, what do the herdsmen do? They run to the city. They run to the place where they're making all of their money, and they say, Jesus has disrupted our economy. The people in the city run to the country The people buying all their goods and say, Jesus has disrupted 
our economy, and they all go to the tombs to make Jesus leave because Jesus just revealed that you have a choice. You either see people restored or you turn a profit. You either hold on to everything you've ever worked for and bogart it for yourself or you start to let go of it so somebody else who's been under the burden of it can be healed. Jesus let those demons go into those pigs to lift the veil off of an economy that looked normal but was operating in a very nefarious way. The pigs drowned. The herdmen's lose their power. So they go to the city and say, we can't bring you any more stuff. And the people in the city are like, wow, we're going to lose everything. Let's go to the country to everybody who votes for us into power and say, hey, this happens at the end of the gospel. Caiaphas can't get rid of him. So he slides on over to Pontius Pilate. Hey, I know we haven't really gotten along all that well, but I think we've become besties over this one. I got a way for us to keep our power and for you to keep yours and to keep Caesar off your back. Get rid of him. He reveals, are the Romans and the Jews really against each other? Or are they against each other in a little bit of a theater to play this game like we really don't like each other, but when the moment comes where we might lose our power, it's revealed that we really liked each other all along. What if we're the dopes who think the Republicans and the Democrats really don't get along? What if all the way over there on Capitol Hill, they're best friends? Because they know as long as we keep this drama turning, we can stay in this building. You think Fox and CNN owners don't love that we, they all hate each other? Let's keep them hating each other. Let's make them think we're enemies. Jesus reveals this. They're not enemies. They're friends. It literally says it in your Bible. Read your Bible through. For the rest of this year, in six months, it says, Pilate and Caiaphas became friends. He's revealing. He's the conspiracy. Jesus is the one that has the conspiracy, not the carnal government. They're not good enough to have one. Jesus is revealing that it's powers and principalities causing men and women to be hungry for power and more on the backs of other people who will never have it. And Jesus says, go into the pigs and watch this whole entire thing unravel. Okay, well, that's big. Does it get smaller? Yes, it does. Let's turn our attention to the man. Jesus says to the man, what is your name? And he says the famous line, my name is, for we are, well, this is interesting too. I'm going to tell you more interesting things. Legion is an office and a position in the Roman government. Because you lead many. If somebody is a Roman legion, it's because he has a lot of people following him. So, in every one of these stories, just so you know, there is no one right interpretation. The Spirit can interpret a story 500 different ways because what the Holy Spirit does is he uses the Bible to reveal our life to us. So he's going to tell you something different about this story than he's going to tell me, and then he's going to tell us something different about this story than he might tell Valley Christian, but it's because we're in two different places needing to learn two different things. So just relax. Relax. It's okay. 
One way to look at this is that this man spent so much time as a Roman leader that he got enchanted and intoxicated by the power that comes from it and became oppressed by it. And Jesus shows up to set him free from drinking the lust of power and privilege. He sets him free. He delivers him from that office, from that stranglehold. What is the third parable in the parable of the, of the seed? The third soil that allows the word to grow but chokes it at the end is the weights and cares of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth. Wealth isn't bad, but the way we need to keep it almost always is. And who we end up keeping it from. But what's something else Jesus is revealing? He's revealing that when you read the tense of this man talking to Jesus, he ends saying, we are many. But he starts by saying, Lord, get away from me. Don't torment me. That's the man talking, not the demon. Because the minute he saw Jesus, part of him runs to Jesus and kneels before him while another part of him is saying, you're going to ruin everything. You're going to take the power from me. Get away from me, but also I'm kneeling. I really want you, but I kind of don't. I have to have you, but please leave me alone. I want to follow you, but I don't want to sell all that I have. But what does it reveal? It reveals that when we're at our deepest, most bound self, we still have the power to run and fall at the feet of the master. No one in this room will ever be so bound that you can't get yourself to Jesus. You'll never be so bound that, and Jesus will never be so condemning that he won't lovingly, like a good father, hear your most honest plea, you're tormenting me. So many of you need to say that. So many of you want to say that. But we're afraid to say it because that wouldn't be faithful. But the love of God wants to be so present in your life that you can realize that the front door to healing is finally saying what you've been burying all along. This man stepped into his healing because he said the truth. I don't want you near me. We don't know why. We don't know what his backstory is. I could preach five really good ones. All we know is that the minute he was honest... Jesus healed him. Some of you, you've been burying your anger toward God, thinking you're being faithful, but you've been taking it out on yourself. You're burying your anger with the Lord, and you're taking it out on the people who are closest to you that you know will be there no matter how you treat them. Fall at his feet. Will it feel tormenting? Yes. But once you're honest, the torment leaves. It goes. What torments us isn't Christ. It's our dishonesty in front of him. And it's our dishonesty knowing that he knows the truth, is okay with your truth, and is going to annoy the heck out of you. Let me say it better. He's going to annoy the hell out of you until you say it. 
And this story apocalypses, reveals that you can say it. So how, as I begin to close, how, begin to close, there's a truth that's really a lie. How, all that sounds good. Yeah, you just really, you really told that story different. We never, we never saw it that way before. Cool. How do we go out of this room where everything is perfectly set? You ever realize in this room, everything is set for you to hear the gospel better than any other place? It's nice. People sing for you before you hear the gospel. And then Jesus feeds you after you hear the gospel. It's a nice place to be. Nothing works quite this well any other place. I've been, I've been working from home for a while now. It's easier to hear from the Lord here than it is other places. Desiree, you understand. And you can't get mad at the children because they love you. You don't want them to stop coming to your door. But they do for reasons like, hey, do you want to see this paper airplane I made? No. I don't. I want to get my church through COVID is what I want to do. I love your paper airplane. Look, it doesn't fly, but it's okay. I love you so much. Anyway, it's great. I was mowing the lawn last night at 6.30. And Sophia runs out of the house up to where I am, motioning for me to shut the lawnmower off. I got to shut it. I'm pouring sweat. Take the noise-canceling headphones off. Take the gloves off. Yes, Sophia, what do you want? Oh, look at this paper airplane. It's good. It's good. It's a great, great airplane. Throw it. Ah. All right. We'll work on it. Can you make me a snack? No. I'm mowing the lawn. Where's mom? Tomorrow's Father's Day. It's easy here. When we leave here, it's so difficult. You're going to be inundated with opinions that trigger, with thoughts that alarm, with narratives that make you think you're reading the right sources and got the right network and have a real handle on things. And it's just going to be pulling us like a strong undertow away from where we beached ourselves. How do we stop and actually get to the point where we can see through see the apocalypse, and really, really have a true gospel anchor. How do we do it? Let's go to Elijah. The text we read about the fire, the wind, and the earthquake. Why is Elijah even having this moment? Elijah is having this moment because a few prophets in the previous story say to him, our God Baal is better than your God Jehovah. And Elijah is like, all right, Let's see whose God shows up and brings fire down on this altar. So let's build an altar, let's sacrifice an animal on it, and let's see whose God sends the fire. And he says, you guys go first. 500 of them, dancing around, doing all kinds of cutting themselves, freaking out, yelling things. And Elijah's just sitting there like, this is dope. Nothing. Please stop hurting yourselves. He's not going to show up. They're all like bleeding out. And they're like, all right, well, let's see if your God shows up. And he's like, pour water on the altar. They pour water on the altar. He says, dig a moat around it and just fill it so that the water is just gushing all over the altar. 
Read this story because what God does is unreal. He comes down in fire. He burns up the sacrifice in spite of the water. And then he burns up the altar because God doesn't want us walking around with what we've done. They asked him to burn the sacrifice. God burns the whole altar because he doesn't want us using our works as leverage against other people. So he doesn't just burn up the sacrifice. He burns up what we built around it. And what does Elijah do? He murders the prophets. It shows that Elijah was not moved by the presence of God in the fire. It didn't change his heart. It made him more vengeful. He missed it. As uh, Dr. Green said in a um, Zoom meeting we recently had on violence, he said, I would rather be wrong with the right intentions than be right with evil intentions. So Elijah runs. He knows he's done something wrong. Jezebel wants to kill him. He runs to the mountain. And God says, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pass by you. And God passed by him in fire, in wind, and in an earthquake. And it says something very confusing. I hope this gets your attention. It says, and the Lord passed by him with fire, with wind, and with an earthquake. And then it says, but God was not in the wind, the fire, and the earthquake. But how wasn't he if they are the product of him walking by? Read every word. There's apocalypses all in the text. It, God passes by, and the first time God passes by, it's fire. And the second time God passes by, it's wind. And the third time God passes by, it's an earthquake. And then it says God wasn't in it. But how wasn't he? It was him passing by. Elisha waits through the fire. He waits through the wind. He waits through the earthquake. And then... He hears God in the silence. What does that tell us? That tells us that there is silence in the fire. There's silence in the wind. There's silence in the earthquake. But Elijah didn't, Elijah didn't experience it until he was still. Until he was still. Once he heard the silence, once he heard the voice of God in nothingness, now he should be able to hear him in the fire. Now he should be able to hear him in the wind. Now he should be able to hear him in the earthquake. How do we know? Because fire, wind, and shaking are the three elements of the day of Pentecost. Suddenly a sound like a mighty rushing and cloven tongues as of, and the place they were in was. When we don't see him in those things, we murder people with those things. When we are still enough to not hear him in the flashy chaos going on around us and hear him in the silence, when you can hear him in your nothingness, you will then be able to start to hear his voice and his truth in all the things popping off around you. There are three ways that we need to be still. Number one, we need circumstantial stillness. 
Imagine a rattling situation hits your life and you don't rattle with it. You're calm. I remember in 2018, somebody, a leader from the communion I was ordained in, sent an email to hundreds of people. It was about me without using my name. And I read it and I was like, wow. I think this might be about me. It was like a very disparaging email. I'm like, what could you possibly say negative about me? This is ridiculous. And I didn't get mad yet. And then I had Jacqueline read it, and she was like, this is about you. And I'm like, no way. I knew it. I knew it was about me. Let's get them. Like, you ever notice, like, you're kind of not mad until one other person gasses you up, and then you're like, and when your wife is mad at somebody else and not you, you are the most gassed up. I'm like, Jacqueline is mad at somebody else, and it's not me. I got to capitalize on this moment right now because it may never happen again. And so right away, Bishop Q, my, my current bishop, calls me while we're reading this email, and he says, did you get the email? I was like, yeah, Bishop, I did. And he goes, it's about you. Don't do anything for three months. You said three minutes, right, Bishop Q? Three months? I said, Jesus didn't even wait three months. He waited three days, and he said, you're not Jesus. Wait three months. Three months! I said, I'm not going to care in three months. And he said, exactly. Good point. I needed to learn circumstantial stillness. But I didn't have it. I needed a bishop who had it to tell me it. We need to get to the point where things can pop off around you and it doesn't have a claim on you. You stay yourself. See, here's the thing. We, we, we don't say the whole word. When we say lose our temper, what we should be saying is we shouldn't lose our temperament. Because that only, like when you say I lost my temper, that comes across as only when it's angry. But some of us have gotten too happy when we should be disgusted by something. We've lost our temperament. Some of us get scared when we shouldn't. Some of us aren't scared when we should be. That's losing our temperament. It's not just flipping out and throwing John's keyboard on the floor. Sometimes we lose our temperament when we are a certain emotion that we shouldn't be based on the situation. So you ever hear that person that's like, I never confess anything negative, Pastor. No matter what's going on in the world, I just confess Jesus is Lord and I stay positive. You're losing your temper. How are you going to not weep when Jesus is weeping? How come you never quote that verse at me? If Jesus weeps and you're not weeping, you've lost your temper. You're running around burying your head in the sand, claiming vain positivity over your life like it's some kind of enchantment, magical game. No matter how many times I claim the positive, those Uvalde parents aren't getting their kids back. So how about we just weep from the gut with people who are weeping? That's the right temperament. We need circumstantial stillness. We need to be able to hold. There's that scene at the, uh, it's not Braveheart, it's Gladiator, where Russell Crowe, the army's just charging at them. Or maybe it is Braveheart. And he's yelling, hold. And they're like getting really close. I would be out. Out. And he's saying, hold. And then right at the last second, they duck and the spears come out. And it's like that ability to hold. 
when it's barreling down at you, hold. Cir circumstantial stillness. But how do you get there? You need an inner stillness. See, if you're trying to be still once the storm begins, it's too late. That's like trying to start saving money once you've already fallen into crippling debt. Not to get too close to home with anybody, but I'm just saying. The best way to learn to save money is when you are free to spend the money you have and decide not to. That was just a free one. This is not a Dave Ramsey seminar. I'm just saying. Once you have no more money, it's kind of hard to learn to save. When you have it to spend and you don't, that's the beginning of a new life. When you get into a rattling situation and in it, you're like, okay, I got to be still. Too late. So you got to get some inner stillness when nothing's happening so that you have it when something happens. How do you do that? I have a third bullet point for you because I knew you'd ask. We need practical. We need to practice stillness. Today. Tomorrow. The day after. Spend five minutes doing nothing. I'm going to meditate. No. I'm going to grab my favorite Bible verse. Don't. I'm going to just think of my favorite song. No. Literally, do nothing. It's the thing none of us really know how to do. We have muscles that are do-nothing muscles. And you might think your husband's got them. <laughs> but I assure you, when we're not taking out the garbage and we're just sitting down in front of the TV, we're doing something. We're just not doing what you want us to be doing. So please don't disrespect it by calling it nothing. It's called what I want to be doing right now. It's Father. That's right. You can say amen. amen. Say amen all day. It's Father's Day. Let us have one. Let us have one. Desiree, you saying amen makes me super nervous. I feel like I'm falling into a trap that one day. You just said it's true. I'm... This is why Paul said pray for him. This is dangerous gig, just so everybody knows. Do nothing. Being lazy is doing something. Do nothing. Sit. And it will be horrible. And you will not pay attention to nothing. You will be paying attention to something. I promise you. Do it. Uh, you have no idea. This piece of advice will change your life forever. Do nothing. And strengthen the muscles of stillness that for most of us have never lifted a thing ever. Except for when we were toddlers. I've watched Theo just sit there and go. I say to Jack all the time, what is he doing? What is, look at him. What is he doing? She's like, he's doing nothing. I'm like, this is remarkably unbelievable. <laughs> Gather around, everyone. He's doing nothing. I can't even imagine. Just being. 
you know the cliche, we're not human doings, we're human beings. But we have ceased to be human beings because we never stop doing. This all connects. Because when we stop doing and we develop a stillness, we will be able to recognize apocalypse when it comes and stop acting like the apocalypse is some futuristic catastrophe when really the apocalypse is the way in which God is going to uncover the darkness so that he can heal it and turn it into the light. But we have to be still. The Christians who run their mouth about this being the end times are the least still, most mouthy, theologically inaccurate human beings on the face of the earth. Because, let me just confuse you even more, there's no such thing as the end times because he's alpha and so the end is also the, and the beginning is also the, so how can you even say end times? End of what? What does Jesus say? It's like labor pains. Okay. So the, Maddie, the end of a pregnancy is also the beginning of a life. So in one moment, an end and a beginning meet and become one. Stop with end times. It's the end. It's the beginning. It's Christ. The Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end. And everything in between. We are just waiting for some reality that is more related to Dante's Inferno and literature than it is to anything in the scriptures. The elements will burn, Pastor. Yeah. Read different literary genres the way they're supposed to be read. The things that are being held, that are disguising the darkness, are going to go away. And when they do, we will see Oz for who he really was. And then when we're ready to yell at him, Jesus is going to heal. And everything will be made right. So we can either get onto that narrative and start speaking the kind of hope that Paul in Romans tells us to speak and join our father Abraham who didn't consider his own body as good as dead but had faith. So maybe if he's willing to do that with his own body, maybe we can do that with the world we live in and not see it as good as dead and also not see it as this glorious triumphalistic success. Maybe... It's not the success some of us think it is. And it's not the dead-on-arrival failure that others do. Maybe it's a world that Jesus loves that he's in the process of healing. So it's not what it should be, but it's not useless either. It's being taken up into the life of God. And so are you, and so is your storm, and so is every other part of your life. I close with this for real. John, you can come. Oh, by the way, John, happy Father's Day, man. Yes. Come on up. I know you're exhausted. While, while John is making his way up here, let me say, I'm, I'm working outside, working outside, and at 4.30, I see a text message from John at 3.17 that said, Pastor, can you call me? I'm at Walmart in the car with my new daughter, and Stephanie hasn't come back to the car yet. I called John at 4.30, and guess where he still was? 
They do that. <laughs> they do that. And I heard that little baby start to cry, and I heard John say, hold on a second. He went around and picked her up, and I heard her stop crying. John, tell me nothing feels better in the whole wide world, right? But you wish your wife was there to see it. <laughs> it's like, Mila, you're not doing anything for me when you stop crying with nobody here. I need someone to see. Because when you try to hold them when your wife is around, they keep crying. I don't know where we were going with that, but happy Father's Day, John. The people in the town tell Jesus to leave. And what does Jesus do? He, <laughs> he says, thank you, and gets on the boat and leaves. They ask Jesus to leave, and what does Jesus do? Say it out loud. No, he doesn't. You knew I was going to. Jesus, I'm going to say something crazy, and I'm going to show you how it works. God is present even in his own absence. God will leave you. But he also will never leave you or forsake you. Doesn't make sense. Here's why. Jesus, they say to Jesus, leave. And what does he do? But when he's getting into the boat, the man who he healed says, can I come with you? And Jesus says, no. You stay here and tell them what I've done for you. They can't hear it from me, but they'll be able to hear it from you. And he leaves his presence with those people in the form of the person whom he healed. People in the world have asked God to leave their life. And God does because he doesn't violate us. But he leaves those people with you. And that's the way he stays present to them, even in his own absence. That's the gospel we live by. Let's stand to our feet this morning. Ushers, you can begin to hand out communion. I am, you know, on day nine after having COVID, and so I didn't want to hand out. So our ushers are going to be handing out. Let's just close our eyes for a moment. Get ready to receive. And can we just sit here for a moment? That was a lot. That was deep. That was... This meal that you're being handed right now is smaller than a tweet. It's smaller than a headline. It's smaller than our attention span, which is not very big, guys. When we feed on this, this comes with a narrative attached to it. This meal that you're holding in your hands that's being handed out to you right now, this meal is a story. And it is a story that is meant to be the interpretive lens of everything you will hear when you leave this room. In that cup you're holding is a story. And what is the story? The story is that even pure innocence himself will be conspired on and destroyed by the church and the government. 
that when pure goodness shows up, evil starts to respond by conspiratorially destroying it. It's what happens. You don't need to watch YouTube for thousands upon thousands of hours to know that, of course, when men and women are left with their own power and no gospel, they will break things, corrupt things, and hurt people with it, us included. You in your seat right now, you might not have as much power as someone in Washington, but you got power over someone. If you left somebody's life, you could hurt them. That's power. If you say, I forgive, there's somebody in your life right now where if you said, I forgive you right now, you'd see the, the, the visceral change in who they are. I did not expect that today. We have power over people. This meal tells us how to use it in a way that heals the demoniac, that sends the demons into the pigs, that exposes the power structures and turns them on their head. We don't ever ask Jesus to leave, but we say things like, Pastor, enough with the racism talk. That's asking Jesus to leave. Can we just have church and hear the gospel and not have to get into social issues? That's asking Jesus to leave. I just need a break from all the stuff going on. I just, I just, I just need to do me for a minute. That's asking Jesus to leave. Be where Jesus is. And who, where is he? He is with the people who are hurting the most, who have had most of their rights taken away from them. That's where he is. Let's be with him. Let's have a better word than the people around us. Some of you in this room have not done a great job talking about this stuff. Today is a day where you can say, I'm going to practice an inner stillness because if I'm right, then after a week of being still, I'll go about my business. But if I'm wrong, show me, give me an apocalypse this week and show me where I'm talking amiss, where I'm moved by things that I shouldn't be moved by where my sources that I read in a day affect me more than the gospel stories do. Show me where I read social media more than I turn the pages of scripture. How many have tried to read the Bible and you don't quite get it all the time? My hand is up, just so you know. You ever notice that it's, you never wonder what social media is telling you? It's easy to hear it. That's a demonic tactic because something that can be received easily doesn't change you. It feeds what you already are. It doesn't demand a change. Okay, I'm done. I'm going to do this all summer, just so everybody knows. What is the narrative? On the night when he was betrayed by powers, governments, religious structures, he fought the corruption by saying, this is my body already given to you, offered to you. Take it. Devour it. And when you do, do it in remembrance of me. This is the blood that is being shed by this corruption, but I'm here to tell you, it's already been spilled for you. Before that spear 
ever punctured my side, before that nail ever went into my skin, before those thorns ever went into my head, this blood was already spilled. As often as you drink it, drink it in remembrance of me. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that these cups that everybody's holding, that they would become right now the body of Christ, the food and drink and story of new and unending life in him. And that you would give us moments of stillness this week to be uncovered by you. To be exposed by you. And when we say to you, Lord, this is tormenting, heal us. But get us to the point where we cry out that way. Bring discomfort into our life if it means healing and restoration and anointing to walk through this earth and bring Eden back to where there's nothing but thorns and thistles. Anoint this church to speak a better word than what is being spoken outside of it. That we don't join the ranks, but we show an altogether different team to be on. One that absorbs and loves and has room for everything else so that it can be healed, restored and made whole. I pray that you would give us opportunity to not just speak the truth in love, but to speak the truth that is love. And watch chains fall in our minds, in our hearts, and even the chains of systematic injustice in real life. We might not see the end of it in our life, but God, give us a chance to contribute to the end of it. To be a part of the story that is undoing it from the top to the bottom and the bottom to the top. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. Nourish on them by faith in your hearts. Worship team can come up. Let's just worship one more time before we leave this morning. Thanks for listening to the Salem Tabernacle podcast. For more information about us, including gathering times and our location, check us out online at salemtabernacle.com.